We are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Welcome to episode 85 on Ruby Ridge today. Ooh. I don't know about this. Oh my <laughs> God, you don't. <laughs> it sounds familiar, but You'll I don't know it once we talk about it. It's a doozy. Okay. Um, Is it? Yeah, it's kind of like this happened and Waco happened and it all culminated and people were thinking that the government had too much control and they could just go and do Take whatever they wanted. Land. Yeah. And their yeah. families. So, um, this was a big mm. deal. Uh, yeah. and a really kind of sad story. Cause while this guy isn't like the best dude ever, um, he didn't really do anything to deserve what happened. So huh. it's a, it's a good one. Okay. I mean, not I'm a good one. It. It's an interesting. Yeah, one. It's a bad one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's a not good one. <laughs> yep. Uh, so before we get into it, we got a, just a very few things. You want to talk about the business? Sure. Uh, like, share, subscribe, please. Get on there. Tell your friends. It's getting cold and people are sitting around. So maybe they want to listen to us talk. <laughs> yeah. Be a Hopefully. great gift for like your mom or somebody. What would be a great gift? Telling them about us? Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> let me open up your, let me, let me show you the world through mystery I mean, history. I would low-key be pissed about that gift, <laughs> but maybe yeah. it's like an extra. <laughs> yeah. Just like the cherry on top of the Christmas Sunday. Okay. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we're pretty much at 55,000 downloads. That's awesome. It's very exciting. And it, we, it hasn't been that long since we were at 50. I know. So we're we, growing quick. We it's are. Exciting. We appreciate everybody that listens to us. Yeah, we do. And then we've got the Patreon as always, as always $2 tier, $5 tier, still that special going on. You can get a sticker and a love note through the end of the year, right? Yeah, it's coming. The love quick. notes, the love notes will be forever. Oh yeah, we always love to write notes, mm -hmm. love notes, and things. So yeah, those are forever. But the sticker, sticker. that mm -hmm. has a expiration date, my friends. And it is. I was gonna say, just is it December thirty first? Yep. <laughs> December yeah. 31st. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't is... think if there was 30 or 31 days in December. Oh my God. I was trying to think too quick. It didn't work out. But this is where we're at, folks. Buckle up. This is where this is where we're always at. Let's That's be honest. True. That's true. We're giving the people what <laughs> this, they want. Us this is the, the vibe that we bring every single episode. So yes. Okay. Well, that's really it. Uh, Teespring is who we're doing our shirts and stuff now through. Um, they we did have a promotion. It got some pretty good traction. We don't, don't know who ordered shirts. They won't tell us since it's a third party website. So if you ordered a shirt, please let us know. We would mm -hmm. appreciate it. Please take a picture of you and your shirt. Um, please share Instagram posts. Um, you know, we, we need to get out there to the masses and we appreciate your help in doing so. So mm -hmm. if we ever get together, have you posted a picture of you and your hoodie? No. If we ever get together before, like we're trying, we've been trying to get together for a minute, you guys. Oh yeah. It's been rough. December has been hard. 
But if we get together before Christmas, we should take a, a selfie in our hoodies. Yes. Yeah, the yeah. hoodie I've got on now is Ohio State Reformatory. Not ours, that, but it's still lovely. I, it's, a, moral, it's a nice hoodie. <laughs> the moral of the story is I freaking love hoodies. <laughs> so yes, we will take a picture. We do need to do that. Yes. All right. Okay. Are you ready to do this? Sure. Okay. Do you want you, me to start? Oh yeah, I do. Okay. Get us started. I'll do that. Let's go. All right. So Randall Randy Weaver was born January 8th, 1948. He was one of four children to Clarence and Wilma Weaver, who owned a farm in Villisca, Iowa. The Weavers were deeply religious, but had a hard time finding a religion that matched their views. They moved between evangelical, Presbyterian, and Baptist churches. Randy professed his faith to Jesus Christ at age 11. Pretty young. As, as you do. Yeah, well, how old were you? Did you profess? Have you professed? Uh, awkward. No. <laughs> no. I too did. personal? Well, I mean, oh, you want me to take it back? <laughs> no. Whenever I was young, I my parents didn't ever go to church, except for yeah. Christmas, so we could sing the Lord's songs. I used to be so jealous. Yeah. Um, of you guys that doing that. Because my mom wouldn't take me. That was the only time. Well, your mom was raised Catholic. My dad was raised Catholic. And they both hate it like anything regarding that now. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I would go with a girl that I grew up around the corner from. She would take me to like a Baptist church where like you had to dress up. Have all the things. It was. Yeah. Um, But I stopped whenever they said that basically because I was like what eight um they said that you know basically anybody that you know that doesn't believe the way that that we do they're going straight to hell and I'm like peace I'm outie <laughs> like I that's I a lot I know, for an eight-year-old <laughs> yeah so ever since then not really been a fan just doing my yeah. own thing you know what I mean yeah just be a good, good. person right that's all really show yeah yep 11 so, not that young for that it isn't <laughs> I don't think so uh, I don't yeah. know I mean I feel like they start trying to get you to do that when you're like five <laughs> yeah like in preschool or whatever it is yeah I feel yeah. like I yeah. don't know you might be right so at, at age 20 Randy dropped out of community college and he joined the army in October 1968 during the height of the Vietnam War he was stationed at Fort Bragg in North Carolina, which I've been there, and was a Green Beret. In 1970, Weaver went on temporary leave and returned to his hometown to visit. A month before leaving the Army, Randy and Victoria Jordson married in Fort Dodge, Iowa in 1971. Randy found work in the local John Deere factory, and Vicki worked first as a secretary and then as a homemaker. Nice. Yeah. The Weavers believed of Christian identity, which holds that white people are the lost tribe of Israel. Now it's kind of going downhill. That's quick. Uh, I mean, two yeah. paragraphs in and we're, we're right in a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. We yeah. sure are. Vicki developed a belief that followed old covenant laws and the family referred to God as Yahweh. 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 <laughs> like, yes. I don't know what that says. <laughs> Yahweh. Uh, the couple began believing in more fundamentalist beliefs and Vicky kept having a reoccurring dream of living on mountaintops I mean that could be everybody's dream same sounds nice 
Yeah, it does. <laughs> but attached to that, she believed the apocalypse was imminent. You lost me, Vicky. No, thank you. To follow Vicky's vision of her family surviving the apocalypse away from a corrupt civilization, the Weaver family moved to a 20-acre property in remote Ruby Ridge, Idaho in 1983, and they built a cabin there. They paid $5,000 in cash and traded their moving truck for the land valued at $500 an acre. So that's a steal. Heck yeah. I wonder what that, well, that property specifically probably isn't worth a lot at this time, but because of the tragedy (laughs) that occurred. However, oh no, sounds like a good deal to me. Yeah, it does. In 1984, Randy and his neighbor, Terry Kinnison, had a dispute over a $3,000 land deal. Kinnison lost the lawsuit and was ordered to pay Randy an additional $2,100 in court costs and damages. Kinnison retaliated and wrote letters to the FBI, Secret Service, and County Sheriff and accused Randy of threatening to kill Pope John Paul II, President Ronald Reagan, and Idaho Governor John V. Evans. So he, I mean, those are pretty serious allegations. Yeah, you made the wrong person mad, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. And this is where the FBI starts kind of paying attention to Randy. Mm -hmm. Like you do whenever somebody threatens to kill the president. Sometimes they do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes they don't. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Uh, So January 1985, The FBI and the Secret Service launched an investigation into the allegations that Kennison suggested. On February 12, 1985, Weaver and his wife were interviewed by two FBI agents, two Secret Service agents, and the Boundary County Sheriff and Chief Investigator. So, like, all the people. Mm, Um, That's a lot. That's very, I would feel, very overwhelming. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. The Secret Service told Randy that they had been told he was a a member of the Aryan Nation and that he had a large weapons cache at his residence. Weaver denied the allegations and the government filed no charges. So he was not charged with anything anything. and just gotcha. Moseyed on his way. On three or four occasions, the Weavers had attended Aryan Nations meetings at Hayden Lake, where there was a compound for government resistors and white separatists. The investigators noted that Weaver associated with Frank Kumick, who was known to associate with members of the Aryan Nations. Weaver told investigators that neither he nor Kumick were members of the Aryan Nation, but stated that Kumick was associated with the Covenant, the Sword, and the Arm of the Lord. And I didn't get a chance to really look that up, but it sounds pretty Aryan to me. Yeah, it does. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I don't know too much about it, but that sounds pretty, you know. Yeah. Yeah, dudes. Not a group I would like to be in, I feel. So. No. Yeah. On February 28th, Randy and Vicki filed an affidavit with the county courthouse alleging that their personal enemies were plotting to provoke the FBI into attacking and killing the Weaver family. So he's got some deep-seated trust issues. On May 6th, that's only 14 days after the FBI agents, the Secret Service agents, and the Boundary County Sheriff and Chief Investigator were at his house. I feel like that would be a good reason to feel that way. Yeah, so two weeks later, they, they filed an affidavit. Yeah. Hmm. On May 6th, the Weavers sent President Reagan a letter 
claiming that their enemies may have sent Reagan a threatening letter under a forged signature of Randy's. No evidence of the letter surfaced, but in 1992, the prosecutor cited the 1985 letter as an overt act of the Weaver conspiracy against the federal government. So there's definitely some conspiracy stuff going on here. Doesn't that sound like they're trying to make sure that they don't get in trouble for something they Mm -hmm. didn't do? And they're saying it sounds like a conspiracy. Well, like the government is saying it sounds like uh, they conspired against the government. Am I reading that right? Yes. Like, yes. Okay. Interesting. But now Weaver believes that the government is conspiring against him and his family. So it's not a good battle to be in the middle of. So in October 1989, the ATF claimed that the Weavers sold an informant two sawed-off shotguns with the overall length of the guns shorter than the limit set by the federal law. In November 1989, Weaver accused the ATF informant of being a spy for the police. Weaver later, Yeah, he's right, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Uh, Weaver later wrote a letter that he had been warned by Rico V, the informant's handler, Herb Byerly, um, ordered him to have no further contact with Weaver. Eventually, FBI informant Rico Valentino outed the ATF informant to Aryan Nation's security. So he was playing two sides of the fiddle. Yeah, this is getting interesting. Yeah. In June 1990, Byerly attempted to use the sawed-off shotguns charge as leverage to get Weaver to act as an informant for his investigation into Aryan Nations. Weaver refused to snitch, and the ATF filed gun charges against him. The ATF alleged that Weaver was a bank robber with criminal convictions, but all of those convictions were false. Weaver had no criminal record. So that escalated quickly. They're, they're trying to blackmail him. Yeah. 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 Oh, no. A federal grand jury indicted Weaver in December 1990 for making and possessing, but not for selling, illegal weapons in October 1989. The ATF concluded it would be too dangerous for agents to arrest Weaver at his property. In January 1991, ATF agents posed as a broken down motorist and arrested Weaver when Vicky stopped to assist. Weaver was told of the charges against him and released on bail and told that his trial would begin on February 19, 1991. On January 22nd, the judge in the case appointed attorney Everett Hoffmeister as Weaver's legal representative. The same day, Weaver called his probation officer, Carl Fritchens, and told him that he had been instructed to contact, oh, not Fritchens, Richens. He had been instructed to contact Richens on that date. Richens did not have the case file at the time, so he asked Weaver to leave his contact info and said he would contact him when he received the paperwork. According to Richens, Weaver did not give him a phone number. Hoffmeister sent Weaver letters on January 19th, January 31st, and February 7th asking Weaver to contact him to work on his defense within the court system. Yeah, there's been some conflicting things. Um, Mm -hmm. The letter erroneously said that Weaver's trial date was March 20th. On February 8th, Hoffmeister again attempted to contact Weaver by letter, informing him that the trial was going to begin on February 20th and that Weaver needed to contact him immediately. Hoffmeister told U.S. District Court Judge Harold Lyman Ryan, hmm, Lyman Ryan, that he had been unable to reach Weaver before the scheduled court date. 
When Weaver did not appear in court on February 20th, Ryan issued a bench warrant for failure to appear in court. On February 26th, Ken Keller, a reporter for the Kootenai Valley Times, telephoned the U.S. Probation Office and asked whether Weaver did not show in court on February 20th because the letter Richen sent him had the incorrect date. Upon finding the copy of the letter, the chief probation officer, Terrence Hummel, contacted Ryan's clerk and informed them of the incorrect date in the letter. Hummel also contacted the U.S. Marshals Service and Weaver's attorney, informing them of the error. However, Judge Ryan refused to withdraw the bench warrant. This poor guy is kind of getting raked here, I feel. Like, yeah, he's not the, you know, he's got some problems, but this he was doesn't a charge. trust people already. But, but this was a charge for a sawed-off shotgun. This wasn't, yeah. this, you know, all of that stuff about killing the president, blah, 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 blah. None of that was true. None of that. He got caught for selling a sawed-off shotgun. He's not even charged with selling it either. It's just for having being it. in possession of it. Yeah. yeah. So the USMS agreed to put off executing the warrant until after March 20th in order to see whether Weaver would show up in court on that date. If he well, were fair, that is fair. <laughs> if he were to show the department of justice claimed that all indications are that the warrant should be dropped, but instead the U S attorney's office called a grand jury on March 14th oh. before he was supposed to appear. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> USAO did not inform the grand jury of Richens letter and the grand jury issued an indictment for failure to appear. And Ouch. this just perpetuates his distrust <laughs> for the government. Right. That makes um, sense. Yeah. When Weaver's case passed from the ATF to the USMS, no one informed the marshals that the ATF had attempted to solicit Weaver as an informant. As the law enforcement arm of the federal court, the USMS were responsible to arrest and bring in Weaver, now considered a fugitive. Weaver simply stated in his remote home, um, stayed, threatening to resist any attempt to take him by force. Yeah. So, okay, that's not your best choice, probably, but... But he feels like if he, you know, if he goes over to these guys, they're going to throw the book at him and... And they probably would. They probably yeah. would. Weaver was known to have an intense distrust, like we've said, in the government. The erroneous Richens letter is believed to have compounded his sentiment and may have contributed to Weaver's reluctance to appear for trial, which we, we've said. He was suspicious of what he thought was contributed to Weaver's reluctance to appear for trial. He was suspicious of what he thought were inconsistent messages from the government and his lawyer. He began to think that they had a conspiracy against him and his family. Mm-hmm. Weaver came to believe that he would never receive a fair trial if he were to appear in court. His distrust grew even further when Hoffmeister told him basically, and this was not right oh, no. of him to do, but he basically said, Hey, if you lose this trial, you're going to lose your land. And that means that Vicki and all your kids are going to be homeless and the government's going to take your kids away. So why the hell would you do that? He should be fired. That's terrifying Mm -hmm. as like the person in charge of your family to hear that if somebody that you already have distrust in, if you get charged, which you probably think you will, that your family's going to lose everything. Yeah, you're gone. Everything's gone. And then that same government that you already have like a huge distrust for is going to take your children. Mm -hmm. I mean, good. 
you'd fight parents, you know, as parents, you'd fight to the death for your kids. Right. USMS officers made a series of attempts to have Weaver surrender peacefully, but he refused to leave his cabin. Weaver negotiated with U.S. Marshal Ron Evans, W. Warren Mays, and David Hunt through third parties from March 5th to October 12th, 1991. That's a long time. It is a long time. Uh, But then Assistant U.S. Attorney Ron Howen directed that the negotiations cease. The U.S. Attorney directed that all negotiations go through Hoffmeister, but Weaver refused to talk to him. Marshals began to prepare plans to capture Weaver to stand trial on the weapons charges and his failure to appear at the correct trial date. So he like stayed in his cabin from March until October. Yeah, they were oh. they were pretty much like recluses anyway. But then but you're going to put surely they left sometimes not to like go to town, but at least yeah. like go out. Right. Like, well, I think they did travel like outside of their cabin. They stayed not so on much their on the cabin, but yeah, on their land. And, okay. and why would you put Hoffmeister in charge of talking to him whenever he's the one who told him all it's this at shit least that partially. wasn't true? Yeah. Well, they don't know that. Right. Yeah. Probably not. But Although. Still. Although the marshals stopped the negotiations as ordered, they made an other contact. On March 4th, 1992, U.S. Marshals Ron Evans and Jack Clough drove to the Weaver property and spoke with Weaver, posing as real estate prospects. As they're freaking like, I can Sneaky. see them with their trunks with like all of these disguises. Like whenever you <laughs> like get mu- served. Fake mustaches. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at a March 27th, 1992 meeting at USMS headquarters, Art Roderick codenamed the operation Northern Exposure. Surveillance teams were dispatched and the cameras were set up to record activity at Weaver's residence. Marshall observed that Weaver and his family responded to vehicles and other visitors by taking up armed positions around the cabin until the visitors were recognized. So it's like the wild, wild west out there, man. How old are these kids? We'll oh, we're there. about to say. Okay. Because yeah. I'm like, everybody's probably insane at this yeah. point. They've been in the cabin for a year. They think people are coming to get them. Like, well, And their parents aren't necessarily stable people. Right. So like they are also going to be hot messes. Yep. A threat source profile was done of Randy and they believed that if Randy was approached by officers, he would shoot on sight and that he probably had booby trapped his whole property. So if they tried to get in there, I mean, which probably, probably if I was Randy, I probably would too. If I thought that, yeah. Yeah. Same. Probably. I don't know. I've heard, we've heard enough of these stories to know that this never, like, it doesn't end well. This never goes Mm -mm. well. It doesn't. So I'd probably not do that, but whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The Weavers had four children, Sarah, who was 16, Samuel was 14, Rachel was 10, and Alishiba. Yeah. That's what I would say. Alishiba? Alishiba? I don't know. Oh, 10 months. Yeah. In 1992. Randy believed that a woman having a child was unclean. So Vicky gave birth to her Elisheba in a shed. Oh my, what? I just thought that uh, this really didn't fit anywhere, but I'm like, I got to, we got to say it <laughs> behind in the family's cabin that they had settled. So he made her go outside into in a shed, shed. Mm-hmm. to have this baby. Cause it was so unclean. What does that even mean? 
Of course it's unclean. Well, it's a not clean, but come on. Coming out of your vagine. I mean, yeah. What I mean, want? I agree. It's unclean. But also it's unsanitary to have a baby in a shed. Yeah. So and I bet he wasn't like helping her. I know. Did she just have this baby by herself out in the shed? That sounds awful. Yeah, I'm sure he wasn't coaching her on breathing exercises. I'm really upset with this guy right now. Yeah. So I just I needed it didn't really fit right here. I needed you to know how old the kids were, but I really needed you to know. And then this happened. She gave birth in a shed. Yeah. Wild. Yikes. So April 18th, 1992, a helicopter for Geraldo Rivera's Now It Can Be Told television show did a flyover of Randy's property and per media reports, he had shot at the helicopter, which I mean, fair. Yeah. Get out of his airspace. Yeah. Don't be, don't be doing that. That day in Idaho, U.S. Marshals were installing surveillance cameras on the Weaver property. The allegations that he had shot at the helicopter were used to justify later um, or I'm sorry for the justification later cited by U.S. Marshal Wayne Duke Smith and FBI HRT Commander Richard Rogers in drawing up the Ruby Ridge Rules of Engagement on August 21st through the 22nd of 1992. Now I didn't put this in the notes, but I do also want to point out that they were installing surveillance cameras, and the people who were installing those cameras said that they did not hear any shots. So probably the media was like, ooh, let's spice it up. He shot at us when he didn't. And then this Mm. put into motion the stuff we're going to talk about. Okay. So Operation Northern Exposure was suspended by three months due to the the shooting situation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because it was a hostile thing. Yeah. On August 21st, 1992, six marshals were sent to scout the area to determine suitable places away from the cabin to apprehend and arrest Weaver. The marshals were dressed in military camouflage, were equipped with night vision goggles and M16 rifles. DUSMS Art Roderick, Larry Cooper, and Bill Deegan formed the reconnaissance team, while DUSMS David Hunt, Joseph Thomas, and Frank Norris formed an observation post team on the ridge north of the cabin. Are you ready for this? Not really. It's about to go fast. I don't think so. I really, okay, let's do it. So this Roderick character threw two rocks at Weaver's cabin to test the dogs that they had their reaction. Mm -hmm. While the weavers were walking outside the cabin. So the action provoked their dog striker to bark. Obviously. Yes. That's yes. Weaver's friend, Kevin Harris and Weaver's 14 year old son, Samuel headed back to the cabin from where they were walking when a shot was fired Mm. and the weavers dog striker was killed. What? This is the worst part of the story for me personally. What did that dog do to you, man? Nothing. Who shot the dog? I think it was, hold on, Roderick. Why? He started this throwing those, I'm pissed. Yeah. I'm pissed at this guy. Oh, let me throw rocks at the cabin to see what happens. Oh, the dog barked and then he shot the dog. Yeah. I feel like. Obviously he was trying to start some ish. Exactly. Exactly. That's how I feel too. If somebody That's killed not my how dog, this works. I would use extreme prejudice, man. Don't shoot my dog. That's messed up. Yeah. 
but then oh, it no. gets a little worse. <laughs> okay. So they then shot Sammy Weaver in the back while he was trying to run away, which what? is like no good. No. And then Harris, the friend, returned fire and shot Deputy U.S. Marshal William Francis Deegan in the chest, killing him. Okay, so basically what I'm hearing is that Art Roderick started everything, and do they not know who shot Sammy Weaver in the back? They, well, the next section, they do believe they have the ballistics. So, like, the ballistics report said that 19 rounds were fired during the fight, and it took them a while to agree who shot who first, because, of course, Roderick's not going to be like, I started some shit and shot their dog. They're going to be like, oh, no, they shot at me and I returned fire. And this is what happened, especially when they killed somebody by shooting them. Well, I guess back while they were running away. Yeah. I mean, that's they did kill this kid, right? He's dead. Yes. So he 14, 14, 14. But they did find that Roderick fired first, killing the dog which started the altercation. And then in, in another article I read, I believe it did kind of do a breakdown on the 19 shots as to mm-hmm. who fired what. Um, but I didn't put that in here, but Roderick in that first shot was the most pivotal in right. this whole thing. Starting the whole thing. Yes. Okay. Uh, Randy, Vicky and Harris retrieved Sammy's body and placed him in the guest cabin near the main cabin. imagine no and then that just floodgates man that's the floodgates right there after the gunfight on august 21st at 11 30 a.m dusm hunt requested support from idaho law enforcement and alerted the fbi that a marshal had been killed the service crisis center was activated under direction of duke smith associate director director of operations the Marshall Service Special Operations Group was alerted to deploy. So things are in motion now. Yes. And by Saturday, August 22nd, special rules of engagement or ROE were drafted and approved by FBI headquarters and the Marshall Service for use at Ruby Ridge. So this is their rules of engagement. One, if any adults around the cabin um, is observed with a weapon after the surrender announcement has been made, deadly force could and should be used to neutralize the individual. Number two, if any adult male is observed with a weapon prior to the announcement, deadly force can and should be employed if the shot can be taken without endangering any children. Number three, if compromised by any dog, the dog can be taken out. Assholes. Four, Any subjects other than Randy Weaver, Vicki Weaver, and Kevin Harris presenting threat of death or grievous bodily harm, FBI rules of deadly force apply. Deadly force can be utilized to prevent the death or bodily injury to oneself or that of another. Hmm. So that is the rules of engagement for Ruby Ridge. Okay. There was a change to the rules of engagement. To change adult to adult male. I have to cough. Okay. (coughs) Sorry. You let that out. (laughs) Some of the snipers observers assumed the rules of engagement was a green light to shoot on site. Essentially it is. (laughs) Pretty much because they're going to be armed. And hostile. Yeah. Shot their kid. Right. 
August 22nd, before negotiators arrived, FBI sniper Lon Hiriachi was positioned, I'm having a rough go, positioned 200 yards away and shot Randy Weaver in the back, which exited his right armpit while he was lifting the latch on the shed to visit the body of his dead son. As Randy, his daughter Sarah, and Harris ran back toward the house, Hirachi shot a second bullet, wounding Harris in the chest. This bullet killed Vicki Weaver as well, who was standing behind the door in the cabin where Harris entered. Vicki was holding Alishiba, their 10-month-old daughter. Mm. Yep. Alishiba. I don't know why I can't say that. <laughs> she, the 10-month-old was okay, but okay. Vicki was shot. Was not? No, and she is dead. So August 23rd, repeated attempts to negotiate with Weaver Weaver via a bullhorn was made, but there was no response from the cabin. On the the 30th, which was 11 days, so this was an 11 day, and, and think about it, Harris had been shot in the chest, Randy was shot in the leg, they've got a their dead mother and three girls mm-hmm. in this cabin. And one of them a 10-month-old. Yeah. Um, so 11 days, they're holed up. Oh, Randy wasn't shot in the leg. He was shot in the back. Oh yeah. Leg and the back. Oh my gosh. So he was all jacked up. Um, Mm -hmm. so 11 days since the siege had started, Weaver agreed to speak with Bo Gritz, who was a civilian negotiator though, uh, through his mediation, Randy Weaver surrendered, thankfully, Mm-hmm. He was removed via stretcher and was flown by an Air Force Medical Evacuation Hospital to Sacred Heart Medical Center in Spokane. Weaver allowed the removal of his wife's body with Grits, um, who oversaw that. It. Yeah. So he must have trusted mm-hmm. this guy. Yeah, it sounds like it. So they mm-hmm. really needed to have a civilian negotiator in place. Jump. I don't understand why this kind of stuff is so difficult for people like to grasp like having the right type of person available for people with mental I mean this guy let's be straight had mental issues Mm -hmm. which rubbed off on his whole family I mean and they probably I mean to be fair also probably had mental issues and instead of bringing the people that he doesn't trust in to try to mediate the situation like, why is it so hard for somebody to think, oh, we should bring a civilian in? And I feel like that's the whole problem is this strong arm mentality on these people instead. And, and this was for a sawed off shotgun. This was for yeah. a failure to appear. And all of these people died. Like, oh that is crazy. Insane. That crazy. is insane. Because they wanted to use brute force. And I understand. I mean, like, I don't because I have never been in that situation. But I can sympathize with, you know, the cops and the military and everything like that. Wanting to make sure yeah. that their own people are protected. Totally. Absolutely. 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 Mm-hmm. But but like you said, there are little things that you can do to prevent all this, of this shit. And, and yeah. one of their own. One of their own died. Right. So I, I agree. I mean, it is a complete shit show. I mean, yeah, just a shit show. Under, yeah, I do not understand why that was like so difficult. Mm-hmm. And then and then it was fine. Like, like, that's insane. Yeah. Both both Harris and Weaver were arrested and Weaver's daughters were released to the custody of relatives. 
federal officials considered charging Sarah, who was 16 as an adult. And for what? I couldn't find for just what? being there, just being and, there. I'm right. I mean, maybe she probably she, maybe she shot some shots out. But if somebody killed my mother or my brother oh, yeah. or my dog, I probably would, too, because yeah, same. And, in that environment, you feel like it's them or you, and yeah, they're attacked. Like you feel attacked. I'm sure. Yeah, Ugh. that's crazy. September 1st, Randy was arraigned in federal court. Re- Weaver and Harris were charged with a variety of, 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 if I could talk, variety of offenses. Their trial in the U.S. District Court of Boise became began <laughs> began <laughs> April 1993. And was presided over by Judge Edward Lodge. Weaver was ultimately acquitted. He was acquitted. After he lost half of his family. Yeah. In July of all the charges except for missing the original court date and violating his bail conditions. Probably having weapons. Yeah. What? All of this. So he was sentenced in October to 18 months and a fine of $10,000. what yeah i mean i don't like i'm not saying like yeah that it's just crazy that for the things that happened it was all for 18 months of jail time and a fine of ten thousand dollars right was that worth everybody's lives that were lost yeah like is that really was that worth it oh my gosh yeah so credited with good behavior he served less than 16 months in jail Mm mm-hmm Guess who wouldn't be on their good behavior? Yeah. <laughs> right. I, was I would be <laughs> fucking shit up left and right. Yeah. I be like, be... oh, this is a government TV. I'm smashing it. Like, I promise, I promise somebody else I'd be on my worst behavior. <laughs> I would be petty as hell. Oh, my gosh. Harris was also acquitted of all charges. The U.S. Department of (laughs) is insane. The U.S. Department of Justice created the Ruby Ridge Task Force to investigate the events. They completed a 542-page report on June 10, 1994. Questions continued to be raised about Ruby Ridge and then the Waco siege, which involved the same agencies and same officials. Hmm. Oh, yeah, interesting. Both the um, Ruby Ridge Task Force and the Senate subcommittee believed the rules of engagements were unconstitutional. Okay, let's put our shocked faces on. (gasps) What? Unconstitutional. Don't say. No, shit. This is, this is just blows my mind because I knew about Ruby Ridge, but I didn't know, know about like how small the charge was. I just knew that the crazy guy was in the woods and they tried to apprehend him and shit got crazy, but it's not, it is crazy, but not so much from his perspective as it is. Yeah. Somebody shot the dog. Like somebody started shooting. And you know know that we don't like to do stories about animals that die. No, no. But just like, of course you're going to feel threatened if somebody starts shooting for literally no reason except Mm -hmm. for the dog barking which they also caused in the first place exactly i am very upset right now (laughs) Mm -hmm. yep so get this this is good okay okay gets better randy weaver and his daughters later filed a wrongful death suit for 200 million dollars related to his wife and his son being killed 
mm-hmm. and okay. out an out of court settlement was reached in 1995 and the government awarded Randy $100,000 and awarded $1 million each to his three daughters, but the government never admitted that they did anything wrong. Which like, awarding people money. money is actually admitting that you did right. something wrong. Right. You don't have to say it, but we all know. We all know that that's hush money. Right. Because if it would have went to court. Then it would have been ooh, all over He would have got the two, 200 million. For Probably. Sure. Oh, my gosh. Harris went on to sue for damages, although federal officials vowed they would never pay someone who killed a U.S. marshal. In September 2000, Harris was awarded a $380,000 settlement by the government. Mm-hmm. That probably and just covered his medical bills, though, to be honest. Right. Well, and I do think, like, at least Randy's daughters each got a million, so he yeah. did make it ahead. But I do think it's kind of funny that Harris was just a guy on the property at the time of this shenanigan. Like, right. and he essentially got more money in the settlement than Randy did, who lost a son a wife and a dog and he didn't kill the u.s marshal yeah so I mean, that's that is weird that's weird to me but good for you harris yeah like get you some randy mm-hmm. and his daughter uh sarah weaver wrote a book called the federal siege at ruby ridge about the incident they later moved to kalispell montana sarah and the other two weaver daughters are employed there After becoming a born-again Christian, Sarah said in 2012 that she'd forgiven the federal agents who killed her mother and brother. That's pretty, I don't know if I could do that. To be able to, I know. I always think about that, like people that lose people and like, I would hate to let that like eat up the rest of your life, but also. How could you not? Spiteful over here. I don't know about forgiving anything. We're not good at (laughs) letting things go (laughs) no not really no um timothy mcveigh and terry Mm. nichols both claim that the poor handling of ruby ridge and the waco siege was their motivation for the oklahoma city bombing i have thoughts on that on the second anniversary of the fire that ended the waco siege april 19th 1995 they detonated a massive truck bomb in front of the alfred p Murrah building killing 168 people and injuring 680 others that one like hits really close to home for me because that was the social security office that they bombed and that's where my mother worked not in that office obviously but like why yeah why like social security office like really right what are those and and the thing that bothers me most about that is the fact that there was a daycare oh yeah and most of those people that were killed and injured were children right who had nothing to do do with any of those so he can use i mean i agree wholeheartedly that the government needs some to put pump the brakes on some shit yeah the ruby ridge situation the waco siege okay yeah problematic however the answer to that is not and social security had nothing to do with it right and neither did those children and i don't know if there was like other stuff in that building i just remember like that being a huge deal i mean i was a kid when that Mm -hmm. happened and i remember remember a house 
I don't like, I don't remember it happening, but I remember having multiple like questions and conversations after because at my mom, I'm pretty sure was like really scared. Yeah, for sure. So I, I'm, I have like vague memories of that. And then as I've gotten older, we had talked about it and like, oh my gosh, like, well, and it started with him mailing packages that would explode to people too. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. it, it, yeah, he's a crazy people be crazy, but yeah. So, um, and I, I've heard lots of things about the Oklahoma city bombing, but I must've missed that part. I, I knew that he had a distrust for the government as well, but I didn't know that those were what set them into motion for this. Yeah. Whole thing. No, I don't think I knew that either. So, so that's interesting. Yeah. We need to do an episode on that one. Yeah. But it's, this is a crazy it's crazy it is crazy that the government can do that that people can do that like I don't know you feel like this is America and like you're on your land and you missed your court date like like figure it out it wasn't not like, like that he, it wasn't like a murder thing where he killed somebody yeah, and he didn't or show he was, up or he I was mean, dangerous to anybody yeah. at that beginning time like no you just sort it out yep <laughs> so I don't I I definitely think that both in Ruby Ridge and Waco, there were some definite mistakes. And like this kind of thing doesn't really happen anymore. Like those two things happened in the nineties and now that doesn't happen anymore. So they must have sorted something out with shit. Yeah. Yeah. They must have figured out like, Hey, this isn't really the best way to deal with these kind of people. Uh, Maybe we should uh, take a moment. Yeah. Because people (laughs) still be cray. Yeah, there's changed. definitely still people <laughs> with land and wow. not wanting other people on it. That is still happening. Um, but yeah, they must have like figured out a better way to engage with these people and families. Both those cases, there's like children involved. Oh like, yeah, for sure. Ugh, that's crazy. Oh yeah. So that was a bumpy ride. Crazy that stuff. Is. That is um, so sad. They could have killed that baby too, BT dubs. Absolutely. With her being held by her mom, like that's, they're <sighs> lucky that she was fine. Yeah. Because I bet if they would have killed that baby, the Ooh, it would have blown up. Probably been really bad. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. All right. So my, my sources for this was wiki, uh, Britannica.com and the guardian.com. So if you have anything to add to this Ruby Ridge or how you feel about the government's hands on everything and how they work on this kind of situation, or if you know yeah. of any situations that have happened after this, yeah, that, we that would just be don't interesting. Know about. Mm-hmm. Cause I, like I said, I feel like they've sorted it, but maybe not. And if maybe they have it's just better, let us know. Like, yeah. It's hushed. Yeah. Hushed right. a little bit better. Like, shit. We did it again. We need to cover this up. <laughs> release a new variant no (laughs) oh no oh just kidding did we just lose some followers maybe i'm is a joke people it's jokes it's jokes it's jokes jokes. we joke (laughs) anyway that dog i'm sad about it oh me too i'm oh that guy yeah look him up later he's talking about people we should send hate mail to i was thinking that as well be like you piece yeah. of shit how could you do this maybe after Dogs the are holidays supposed to spark you a-hole <laughs> right uh, save it for after the holidays mm. yeah unleash <laughs> yeah 
All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed episode 85 on Ruby Ridge and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.